of your service sheet if you've got one. It's starting at um, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen. We are um, going to spend a few weeks, folks, looking at this uh, great gift that we've just been enacting as a church called prayer. Um, so this week we are looking uh, from these verses here about invitation, because prayer begins with an invitation. Uh, next week we'll be looking at approach, which is how we come to prayer, and you know, what's going on in our hearts, and how should our hearts be when we come to prayer. And the final week we're going to look at practice. How do we actually do prayer? How does that look? Uh, but this week we're going to be concentrating on what we've just been reading here, which is invitation, because prayer begins with an invitation. Um, now, folks, just so you know, we, this isn't like a little summer series, just a bit of a filler. What can we do? Or I'll do something on prayer. Um, this is really strongly connected to everything that we've been learning as a church over the last six months. We've been going through the book of Acts in the New Testament. We finished last week. The book of Acts talks about the Acts of the Apostles, the early church, the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the early church, uh, creating this gospel-centered, uh, spirit-empowered community on mission. We've seen that week in, week out. And so what we're doing now in these next three weeks is, is um, with, with that vision of, of the church and what it could be and the mission that God sends us out on, with that in mind, uh, we're then coming to this, this gift of prayer because prayer connects the dots, you see, between that big stuff that we've been looking at and being excited by and having our hearts stirred about. How, how, do, we actually, how do we actually start enacting that? How do we, how do we receive that? How do we, how do we start putting that into play? And so that's where prayer comes in, making the vision reality. And it starts with prayer. So that's why we're doing a focus series on, on, on prayer um, over these next few weeks. So I want to look at uh, three areas of, of this invitation uh, in the next few moments to um, just try and receive what God is, is saying through the text. Uh, we're going to first of all look at, number one, what is the invitation? What is the invitation? Uh, why are we invited? Number two. And number three, how do we receive it? Okay, what is it? Why are we invited and how do we receive it? Simple as that. So first of all, what is the invitation? As I mentioned, prayer begins with an invitation. That is really important. That's why we're spending this whole Sunday trying to understand this fact. Prayer begins with an invitation. It begins with a call from God to us. And this text and the, the challenge just read for us is massive when it comes to the invitation that God gives to his people to us. It underpins our understanding of prayer. And, and, and for those who are quick and you've had your coffee this morning, you'll realize it doesn't mention the word prayer in there. There's no mention of prayer. Um, this is a kind of broader thing in some ways that Jesus is talking about. But prayer is very much a, a clear and obvious application of what Jesus is saying just here. Okay. So what is the invitation? Verse 37, Jesus stood up, cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So there it is right there. That is the invitation. Come to me, says Jesus, and drink. If you are dry, if you are parched, if you are uh, in the spiritual wilderness, wilderness, if you are exhausted, come to me. That's what he says right there. Be quenched by what I can give you. Be satisfied by me. Receive life 
Come for restoration. Come for replenishment. Come for reinvigoration. Come and drink. Of course, um, I hope, hope it's clear. Jesus isn't just offering some sort of vending machine service. Come for a drink. Uh, physical water. He's talking about living water, which the verse 39 goes on to explain. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That's what he's offering. Come and drink of the Holy Spirit. That's the invitation right there. Bit of context really helps to understand what Jesus was saying and why he said what he did when he did. Bit of context. Um, it says there in verse 37, the last day of the feast, the great day. What is the feast? Um, it is the feast of booths. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Every year from ancient times, the people of Israel would gather for a whole week of feasting and celebration. And during that time, they would make these little tents, literally tents, and they would go and sit in their property or out in their back garden or something. And they would live in tents. Why would they do that? Why would they do that for a whole week every year, year in, year out? They would live in tents because that reminded them of the time when God saved their ancestors from Egypt. And when he saved them from Egypt, they went into the wilderness and they lived in tents. Okay? So that's what they did. And God said, you want, I want you to do this every year. Come rain or come shine. You live in your tents because that will remind you, I saved you from Egypt. And so that's what's going on right here. But with that and, and with this, you know, the years that went on, this tradition developed in and around that festival week. And a tradition that was added and sort of brought in uh, from wider scripture was water. Water was offered, poured out every day during the feast of the, the, you know, the tabernacles, the feast of the tents. Water was poured out every day in the temple by the priests. And the idea was this. Uh, in, in old time Jerusalem, you know, back in the day, water was taken from the pool of Siloam, a very significant and special sort of natural spring right in the center of Jerusalem. It was lifted out by the priests of the temple with this big sort of gold, um, I don't know, bucket thing. Uh, and, and it was taken out to the cheer of the, the, the roaring, you know, pilgrims. And this water was taken, it was paraded around the city, off to uh, the temple, it was paraded around the altar. There was a choir roaring, singing Psalm 113, hallelujah, hallelujah. And all the male pilgrims uh, also would gather at this time every day when this was going on. In their left hand, they would have these sort of uh, handmade strips of wood that when you rustle them together, they make this amazing noise. And in their, their other hand, they had a piece of citrus fruit, would you believe, talking about God's blessing, his, his fruit. And they would be shouting out, give Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Three times they were shouted out. And then the priests would pour out the water on the altar of God before, you know, uh, the tabernacle of God. This would happen every day during the feast of the tabernacles. And the idea is this. Water, you see, pointed back to God's miraculous provision of water when they were in their tents. When Israel were in the wilderness all those years ago, God provided water from the rock. He provided water for his people Israel to quench their thirst. And so this water tradition was a reminder of God's provision of water in the wilderness. But that's not all the water pointed to. It pointed forward because, you see, the Hebrew prophets... The prophets of old saw a day, they envisioned a day when God one day in the future would pour out his spirit in the final days. 
You know, the days of the Messiah, God would, would, would literally rain down his Holy Spirit upon all of his people. Rivers of water, of spiritual water, would flood upon the earth. Zechariah 13, Ezekiel 47, Isaiah 55, we read that at the beginning of our, of our service. Rivers of water were, were uh, seen by the prophets as one day flowing out from the temple to the world, bringing healing, bringing restoration, bringing life from God himself. So all of that is in their minds, you see, when they're pouring this water out day after day during the Feast of the Tabernacles. You can see why context is important, can't you? And so this is happening every day of the week, every year, for century upon century, year after year. This thanksgiving for what God has done, this anticipation for what he will do. And you can, you can imagine, can't you, over that seven-day period during the festival that Jesus was at, you know, it reaches fever pitch. And we can see in verse 30, 37, Jesus picks his moment carefully. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. He wasn't just having a little chat with a few of his disciples around the corner of the temple. He, he, he waited until the crowd was at fever pitch. Then he cried out so that he could be heard above all the voices and all the gathered uh, pilgrims and worshippers. And he cried out and he said, come to me, drink my water. Everyone was thirsting. And Jesus said, I'll give you what you're thirsting for. Can you see what he's, say, he's saying? Can you see why Jesus did what he did when he did? He's saying that, 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 that water in the wilderness that your ancestors got, come to me for that. He's saying that they were quenched in the parched land. Come to me for that. Come to me, he said, and you will never thirst. Come to me and I'll give you rivers of living water. Come to me and I'll grant you uh, that healing, that fruit, that life that we're anticipating. Come and have your soul's craving. Come to me and drink. I'll pour it out. That's what he was saying. So you can see why I hope now that it's important um, at the start of our few weeks thinking and practicing prayer. We have to understand that before prayer is anything, it is an invitation from God to come and drink. So important. Why is it important for us to understand this very fact that prayer begins with an invitation? It's important because many of us, I think, carry a sort of what I would describe as an Oliver Twist approach when it comes to prayer. Maybe you've heard of Oliver Twist or seen the, the West End show. They've made a few movies about it over the years. Oliver Twist is a Charles Dickens story about a boy. Uh, he's an orphan. Uh, he, he was put into a, a workhouse back in the day, back in sort of during the Industrial Revolution times, uh, sent into a workhouse of hundreds of other boys, you know, put to work during the day. And in the movie, and in the book, of course, there's a famous scene where Oliver, who's probably about seven or eight years old, um, takes his empty bowl, he's just been eating porridge, that's all they have uh, twice a day is porridge, and they get an onion twice a week, that's all they're allowed to eat. And he takes his empty bowl of porridge forward. And as he gets up out of his seat, Everyone in the room, hundreds of other boys, fall completely silent. And so Oliver walks up to the front to the master of the house, a man called Mr. Bumble. And Oliver musters this tiny little voice. You could hear a pin drop. And he said, holding his bowl up to the master, he said, Please, sir, can I have some more? 
And the master, Mr. Bumble, a fat man, turned around incredulous and he said, What? And then Oliver, again, just in case the master didn't really hear what he was saying, repeated even in a smaller voice still, he said, Please, sir, can I have some more? And the master, his face growing red, the veins in his neck standing out, More? And he grabbed his cane to strike Oliver and chase him around. How dare you ask for more? Oliver eventually, as the story goes on, gets put out of the workhouse because of his request. Naughty boy. But you see, we often have a view like this when it comes to prayer. For, for many of us, God is like the angry Mr. Bumble. He's like the angry schoolmaster, the tight-fisted miser. And for us, we think that prayer is our attempt to try and wrestle some sort of extra helping from God's tightly clenched fist. You know, it's up to us to try and find the right words. We've got to be really, really polite. We've got to find the right order. We've got to live a good life and sort of maybe one day then we can eke out what we need from God's tight fist. But right from the start, this text that we are looking at today, and I just want you to, to allow it to to sink into your heart and your mind. This text turns that false view of prayer upside down. Because as we're starting to see, prayer is an invitation. When it comes to prayer, we start by knowing that God invites us to come to him. He, he, he stands there before us with open arms. He beckons us to come. He is a good God. He is a loving God. He is a gracious God. And it says that he can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. He says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Prayer, you see, is not convincing God to give you something. Prayer begins with God inviting us. He wants you to be overflowing with the life and spirit that he wants to pour out on you. And this is achieved, folks. This is achieved through prayer. Elsewhere in the scriptures, God says, to one of the prophets, test me, come on, test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down such blessing until you have no more need. That's God's heart for you when you come to prayer. Come and drink, says Jesus. So what is it? It's an invitation to come and drink. But the question then we're going to move to now, okay, fine. Jesus invites us to come and drink, come and receive uh, this living water, which is the Holy Spirit. Okay, but why do we need it? Number two, why do we need it? Who needs it, should we say? Look back in our text in verse 37. Jesus said, you know, he stands up, cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Why do we need it? Because we thirst. What is thirst? You've experienced it. You've all experienced it. I know that for a fact. Thirst, physiologically speaking, is a desire for water, isn't it? To be hydrated. It's a, it's, it's a natural bodily response to that thing our body needs. We, we sense, uh, without needing to think too much about it, uh, the need of water. We sense that we're empty. Uh, we sense that we lack that which is going to give us life, whether it's through exercise or through heat exposure or through some illness or other. 
or just because we haven't drunk something for a while, we, 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 we feel thirsty. It's a natural phenomena. It's because water is needed for life. If we don't get water, we will die. It's a basic need for us to sustain life as human beings, right? And Jesus is saying, you have a deep thirst. Everyone has a deep thirst. For all who thirst, for all who have this deep yearning, come to me. Don't go looking elsewhere. You won't find what you need. I'm not here to give you physical water, Jesus makes clear. I'm here to give you actually something far more important, if you can believe that. Far more important. I'm here to quench your real thirst. I'm here to quench your spiritual thirst. Physical water you can drink, you'll get thirsty again in half an hour. But the water I give you, it will never run out. You'll never thirst. You'll never need to look elsewhere. In fact, rivers of living water will flow from you. That's what Jesus says. Why do we need that invitation? Because we are thirsty. Are you thirsty? Where does that thirst come from? Where does this deep inner thirst come from? Well, you see, it all flows from who we are as as people, what we are created to be. Uh, When we zoom back out of this text and we just take a a big look at what the Bible says, we realize that God created human beings completely unique, unlike any other part of all of creation, everything that's known and unknown, seen and unseen. We are unique in his creation. And unlike any other part of creation, human beings, you and I, and everyone else sat in this room, were created to know God intimately, know him in a way that is unrivaled throughout the rest of creation. Birds don't know God the way we know God. You know? Mammals, uh, whales in the ocean can't know God the way that we can know God. A rock outside in Cave Hill can't know God the way you and I can know God. There is something special about Human beings, we are created to know him and, and to enjoy him and to be in what the Bible describes as fellowship, community, family. We're to know God specially. And just for a moment, imagine we've got God, right? The creator of all that is seen and unseen. And we've got this little part of his created, you know, world, human beings. And yet those two can come together. The creature and the creator can come together and know each other and enjoy each other. I love this little part in Genesis 3. It depicts God. It says God was walking in the cool of the day in the garden. Walking in the cool of the day. He was there walking with, as was his obviously his routine, walking with our first parents, Adam and Eve, enjoying their company, being with them. He spoke with them. They shared with him what they were doing. They spoke back to him. There's no other creature in all of God's creation that can speak back to God except for you and I. Awesome. Beautiful fellowship, beautiful community, beautiful mutual uh, affection. But just imagine then the mess, the fallout, when the first human beings decided to go their own way. When they decided to disobey God's parameters for a perfect life, when they rebelled against him, when they went their own way, when they tried to find water elsewhere... You can imagine the mess that made. That profound intimacy was broken. It was corrupted. They couldn't enjoy fellowship with God anymore. They walked away from God. They cut himself off from them. And as we saw in our our confession of faith, they have forsaken me, says God, that I am the living water. 
and they have tried to dig wells for themselves, broken wells that can hold no water. That's what they did. That's what we do. So we thirst. That's why we thirst. We were created for God. We were created to be quenched by God, by quenched by his presence. And yet, as we've seen, we walk away from the water and we put ourselves in the spiritual desert. One of the great early Christian writers, St. Augustine, said, use old-fashioned language, he said, Thou, thou hast put salt on our lips, that we may thirst for thee. You, God, have put salt on our lips, that we might thirst for you. He understood. Only God can satisfy our deepest longings. We were made to be for God. But we all search in the wrong places to quench this deep thirst each of us carries around. For many of us, maybe for you, you search in the area of your relationships, in, in, in romantic relationships, in family relationships. You think to yourself, if I can just get this thing, if I can just get with this girl or this guy, then I will be fulfilled. I will be happy. You know, I'm, I'm going to get that joy. I'm going to get that satisfaction, that sense of, uh, of, of, of uh, comfort. Everything will be well. That's not necessarily a bad thing, by the way. That's a good thing. But some of us look primarily or only to a romantic relationship. For others, it might be that we look to our work. We think, if I, if I can get that promotion, if I can get to that level on the pay scale, if I can get that level of authority and responsibility in my job, if I can take over as CEO of my company, then I will have it. Then I will be pleased. Then I will be satisfied. Then I will have the joy that I know I'm looking for. Perhaps for you it's recreation, going away on holiday, you know, having good times, whatever it happens to be. Maybe for you uh, it, is, it is success, it is seeking influence on social media or something like that. Either way, any of these things and so many more, God says you are digging wells that you will not ever find what you're looking for. You'll never get the water that only I can provide. And we can look to all these various ways to try and satisfy that thirst, and yet we remain dry. We remain empty. So we go to the next relationship, and the next one. We get the next job, the next level of achievement, and yet we're just thirsty, thirsty, thirsty. Never find what we're looking for. We're digging wells, and yet they won't hold the water for too long. They won't satisfy us because they're not God. We were created for him as we've seen and nothing but God will satisfy us. My question to you, are you digging in the wrong places? Are you looking for what only God can provide? Remember, folks, the context of all this that we've just been thinking about, the festival of the booths, you know, the tents, the water that God provided in the wilderness, the, the, the water of the coming kingdom of God. Remember that Jesus said, come to me, come and receive it. He said that about his spirit, it says in verse 39, because as yet, spirit hadn't been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. What does this word glorified mean? It, it means lifted up. It's religious language to say lifted up. Jesus had not yet been lifted up. And in John's mind, Jesus, he said, had not been yet lifted up onto the cross. He hadn't yet gone to the cross. That's why at that moment there was no Holy Spirit given um, in the way that Jesus predicted. He hadn't yet been lifted up on the cross. 
But the one really interesting thing about John, when you fast forward to the end of John, and you look at the way that John presents Jesus' crucifixion, John uses a word that only he uses out of all the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John uses a word that none of the others use. Highly significant. He says this, when, when, when Jesus was, in chapter 19, when Jesus was put on the cross, when he was unjustly tried, when he was sentenced to death, when he was uh, nailed to the cross, when he was slowly becoming exhausted, what did Jesus say? He said, I thirst. I'm thirsty. And then he died. And John's the only one to, to put those words into Jesus' mouth, to record that. Why did he do that? What was John saying? Jesus is the one who invites us to come to him and drink, and yet he's the one hanging there, thirsting on the cross. How can that be? What's John saying? Jesus was dried and parched, and he thirsted on the cross, and yet he's the one who said, come. Jesus, you see, what was he doing? He went into the wilderness so that you could be brought home. Jesus poured out his life, on the cross so that you could be filled up with life. That's what John was getting at. Jesus thirsted so that you could receive living water. Jesus experienced the rejection of God. He chose spiritual dryness because of your sin, and he thirsted for you so that you could be quenched. That's what John was getting at. And that's why he said that Jesus had to be lifted up on the cross first. But you see, and we've been singing about this already, on the third day, he wasn't just lifted up onto the cross, he was lifted out of the grave to eternal life, right? And after appearing to his apostles and other disciples, in fact, hundreds of other disciples over a period of weeks, Jesus was not only lifted up out of the grave, he was lifted up to God's right hand as he ascended into the heavens. Lifted up to the cross, lifted out of the grave, lifted up to God's right hand in heaven. And see, that was Jesus being glorified, glorified, lifted up. And you see, now it's from that position, we've been learning this all through the book of Acts, it's from that position in heaven that Jesus pours out his spirit. It's from there that the rivers begin to flow. The rains start to pour down. The Holy Spirit is poured out. That living water that he's talking about here in John chapter 7 starts to flow. Come to me, he says, and drink. So we thought about the, the what. What is the invitation? Come to me, drink. And the why. We need to come to Jesus and drink because we are thirsty and nothing but him and what he gives will satisfy us, really. Thirdly and finally, I want to think for a few moments about how we receive that. How do we receive it? Prayer begins with an invitation. But as with every invitation that you might get, either an invitation to a party or an invitation to some other event. The invitation lands on your lap, but you've got to do something with it, right? You've got to, you've got to go. You've got to take it up and, 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 and uh, respond. Yes, Jesus invites you with open arms. Yes, he wants you to come and drink. Yes, he provides that through his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and pouring out of the Spirit. But you've got to answer the invitation, right? You've got to, you've got to take it up in your hands. You've, you've got to come to the party. So how do we do that? That's the question. Verse 38. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures, Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then for clarification, 
in verse 39, he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So how do we get that invitation? How do we receive that invitation? It's clearly there. Believe and receive. Believe in Jesus, which means take him at his word, take his words at face value. His promises, you trust them. His actions, you believe in them. He's the one who pours out the Spirit. You believe that. That's what you've got to do. And then you receive it. Believe and receive. And so we come to Jesus and we receive. We ask. Because prayer is a response to an invitation. We say to God, we say to Jesus, yes, Lord Jesus, I answer your invitation. I respond to your call. Would you give me what you promise here in your word? That's prayer, folks. Prayer begins with invitation. Prayer is, is, is simply the laying hold of what God gives, what he's promised. It's a testing of God's thesis. You know, uh, it is the first step to receiving what he is offering you. It's the first step to entering in and receiving, grasping, activating that promise. And here we see the invitation is come to Jesus, believe in him and receive the Holy Spirit. These rivers of, of, of life. That's the offer. God himself, he says, will come to you. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, will come to you, will fill you, and will bring with him eternal life, bubbling up, overflowing out of you. He is that living water. That's the offer. And it's on you to believe and receive. I just love the way that Jesus puts it in Luke 11, 13. He, he, he's speaking to a, a group that gather to hear his teaching. And he says, look, you, you, among you who are fathers, you know, you earthly fathers, you're, you're far from perfect, right? You mess up. But yet even you know how to give good gifts to your children. You know it without thinking. You know what it is to give a good gift to your child. But then he goes on. He said, how much more will your heavenly father know how to give Give good gifts to his children. How to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. See, prayer, don't forget, is not the wrestling of small blessings out of God's hands. It is receiving what God has in store for you. So how do we receive it? We believe it and we therefore receive. How does this apply then to us? There's two ways this can apply to us as we close out. Okay? Number one, this applies to us in this way. There's either the haves or the have-nots. That's the first way this applies. You either have the Holy Spirit or you don't have the Holy Spirit. Simple as that. There is a distinct before and after. Before you come to faith in Jesus Christ, before you come to him, you do not have the Holy Spirit. You have not received the Holy Spirit. But, as Jesus says here, if you believe in him, then you will receive the Holy Spirit. If you trust Jesus at what he says and what he promises and what he's done, you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible describes that as being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a kind of side, but not side issue. Even to be able to believe and receive as a gift from the Holy Spirit is a sign that something's happening in your life. Right? But anyway, when you come to faith in Jesus, you receive the Spirit. And the Bible describes that as adoption. God goes from being God the Father 
to God, your father. That's what happens. That, that, that means that you become a child of God. You can cry out to God as your father. That means you're taken into the family of God. He gives his spirit to you. And that can never be taken away from you. He is yours and you are his. Do you have this, folks? Do you have this? Or do you need to finally take Jesus at his word and trust him, come to him, listen to him? Application number one, the haves and the have-nots. But there's a second application as well of this, this stuff to us. You might already be a believer in Jesus. And if you are, praise God, that's awesome. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. By definition, you're a child of God. And yet, and yet, you thirst. There is still a thirst for more. It might be because you are dry. You know, you crave more of God. You crave more of his spirit. Whatever else is going on in your life, you, you, you have maybe come to the realization just now that you have a need for what Jesus is offering right here. You have a deep and profound need for more of what he's offering, more of God. You could be sitting here right now feeling spiritually dry, spiritually parched like you're in some great wilderness. Maybe you have experienced great uh, you know, blessing and great experience of the Holy Spirit in the past. God's presence with you. But that just seemed like a distant memory. And, 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 and to be honest with yourself, you know, that has been quite a while ago and sort of grown cold and grown dry. But yet maybe just in hearing these things, you're starting to thirst again, wanting more. Does God say to you that, no, look, you've had enough. I've given you my spirit. No more for you. That's your lot. Is that what God says? Is that what your heavenly father says to you? Of course not. Absolutely not. The invitation that Jesus gives in these verses is open. It is continual. In fact, he puts it slightly differently in Matthew 5. Jesus says, of my disciples, of those who know me and love me and follow me, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's saying that my disciples, my followers, those who trust me already, they hunger, they thirst for more, they want more of me, always coming to me for more. That is their stance, that is, that is their position before me. I've, I just was thinking back as I was preparing this and thinking of the times when uh, we took Eliza to the swimming pool for the first time. And uh, we went to a hotel somewhere out in Inneskillen and they had a nice little baby pool in there, which is probably about, you know, a foot deep. And she was, what, not even not even a couple of months old. She's probably about eight weeks or something like that, nine weeks. And um, we went to this baby pool. We went to this hotel, especially because they had a baby pool. And we put her into a little, you know, a little outfit. And we put her into this ring, you know, the, the type. We have two little holes for the legs and plonked her in. And she just sort of sat there in this baby pool, sort of floating around, completely unimpressed with the whole thing, completely unaffected, didn't seem to be enjoying it, just sort of plonked there, and that was it. That was her first experience of getting in the pool. Fast forward then to when she's probably about 18 months or two years old. Um, we went to another hotel. Uh, don't do anything that we're going to hotels all the time, folks. Just happened to be a hotel. It was awesome. And uh, we went to another hotel, had a big pool in it. I think it only had a big pool. 
And and so we, we, we did the same thing again. We had a special outfit on for her, you know, the ring, everything. We tried to get her in. And she kicked and she screamed. There was fear. She wasn't having it. She was out of her depth. She just was not enjoying it whatsoever. And it was just, it just was not fun for us. We just took her out and took it in turns and that was it. It was a bit of a, bit of a disaster. But then fast forward, she's just turned three in May, a couple of, couple of months ago. We were at another hotel, another family holiday. Okay, hotel. Um, family holiday where they had a pool, right? It was great. It was a big pool, a big adult pool. And um, we plonked her in again, another buoyancy outfit on. She started splashing around. I thought, okay, this is good. And then I remember on her first time in the pool, she's splashing around. She sort of eyes up the, uh, the ladder. You know those ladder things that you can get in and out of? There was no sort of uh, shallow end or anything, just ladder and straight in. So she eyed up the ladder and she sort of, you know, made her way over to the ladder, got onto the first rung of the ladder, and before you know it, she'd sort of launched off the first rung and plopped in to the pool. I caught her, and that was it. And she was utterly thrilled. And so she she went back, do you remember, and did it again, a bit more confidence, loved it. Next time she went back, this is all, all in the same sitting, tried the second rung of the ladder, leapt in. Daddy's there, it's okay. In she went. Then the third rung. And then for the next 45 minutes, it was in, out, in, out, in, out. Just jumping, jumping, jumping. She was absolutely thrilled. Loved it. Loved every minute. She knew she was safe. She knew her daddy was there. She was thrilled again and again, higher and higher, further and further, deeper and deeper. Some of you have stopped in the shallows. You're already a believer in Jesus. He indwells you by his spirit. And yet, you're stuck in the shallows. You have fear. You're holding back. Maybe fear from going deeper. Maybe fear of what lies beneath. Maybe fear that your father won't be there to catch you when you launch yourself off the edge and you make a total mess. But folks, based on what we have just been reading and thinking about, this could not be further from the truth. Jesus invites us to come. And he says, come further. Come deeper because I have more for you. I have more for you. I've always got more for you. Deeper levels of joy. Greater depths of satisfaction. There is more of me than you can take. I want you to be overflowing with love for me and joy in me and satisfaction. He's inviting you to come. See, in the New Testament, we read that you can be indwelt with the Spirit of God. You can be a believer, and yet there are deeper and more profound feelings available to you. Not just available, but they are to be sought. They're to be asked for. We've seen this all through the study in the book of Acts. We went through it in six months for this reason. We've seen that when the apostle Peter, you know, who he's already got the Holy Spirit, he, he, he appeared to the council of Jews to give evidence of the gospel of Jesus. Peter, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. We see the church when they were gathered together for passionate prayer, that God would advance his kingdom. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We see the great um, martyr, the first person who died for the Christian faith, Stephen. Moments before he died, it said he was filled with the Holy Spirit so that he could suffer well. We see Paul and Barnabas being sent out, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote later to a group of Christians in churches and said to them, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So can you see? 
Jesus invites you to come. He asks you and invites you and offers you, come deeper to me. Ask for more. Come on, test me. More depths, more of this living water flowing out of your heart. Do you want that? I do. And we've seen, haven't we, through the book of Acts, what it looks like to be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered. We've seen the power of God flowing out of his people as they attempt great things in his name. We've seen them push back the darkness of evil and, and oppression in the name of Jesus when they've been filled with his spirit. We've seen them heal the sick. We've seen them cast out demons. We've seen them proclaim the gospel with power. We've seen them suffer well in the most intense moments of hardship because they have been filled with the Holy Spirit. This joy, this boldness, this profound sense that he is my father and I am his child and therefore I can do anything. That's what happens, folks. Do you want that? So we've seen the what of the invitation. Come to me and drink. We've seen the why. We're, we're thirsty and we need it. And we've seen the how. Believe and receive, whether for the first time or subsequent fillings. Believe and receive. We're coming, um, obviously, after our, our summer. We're coming to a new term as a church uh, where we are going to deepen our practices in prayer. We're going we're gonna to take up new opportunities here at Foundation Church to take seriously the words of God in Scripture, to ask boldly based on his promises and what he calls us to. We're going to gather more and pray more. We're going to seek God. We're going to make requests. We're going to say, look, God, you've done this then. Will you do the same in us today? And we're going to watch what, what happens. We're going to ask with open hearts and see what he does. But folks, don't worry. We're not going to wait until September in order for us to start enjoying and practicing what we've talked about. In fact, we're going to ask uh, in a few moments' time, we're going to ask now for the promise of Jesus. We're going to ask. It'll look different for each of us. We're going to ask for him to renew us, to fill us. To, to, to give us a fresh awareness, a fresh understanding, fresh experience of this living water that he's talking about. We're going to ask that our faith will be built up and our fear will be pushed aside. That's what we're going to ask for. So we're going to do that together. I'm going to pray just now. And then, you know, if you want to pray with me individually at the end, I would love to do that too. I would love to do that. But we're going to pray together now. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to lead those prayers. And you stand with me just now and we pray together. And uh, it's up to you. You can take these prayers into yourself. You can listen carefully to, to the words that we're praying. And if you, if, you, if you agree with what I'm saying and you want to take them into yourself, then, then you can just say a quiet amen, either out loud if you want or into yourself. You can say, yes, Lord, that is what I want. And so make these words your own words and believe and receive what Jesus has for us. So let's have a few moments of quiet reflection, then we're going to pray together. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him or her come to me and drink. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you right now we come at your invitation. We're, we're thirsty. We're thirsty for you. And we ask that we might drink in your Holy Spirit. 
Would you pour him out richly? Come, Holy Spirit. We pray, Jesus, for help to trust you, to take you at your word. Fear out, faith in. Father, I pray for those in this room who are spiritually dry, who are parched, who are in a wilderness. Flood their lives with your living water. Father, I pray also for those who have had a taste of this living water and desire more. And so again, I pray, come like a great river. And as a church here at Foundation Church, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission, may we lay hold of your promises. May we lean into you, Lord. We expect you to do great things. And so we ask, Lord, for more of you. Would we be astounded at what you do among us? Lead us as a church to know more of you for the glory and the renown of Jesus Christ. Lift it up. Glorify one. In whose name we pray. Amen.